Welcome to Healthcare is Human, a monthly podcast featuring authentic storytelling and healthcare with your host, Dr. Ryan McCarthy. Welcome to Healthcare is Human. I'm Ryan McCarthy. Podcast listeners, uh, today I am sitting down and I'm going to have uh, my colleague introduce himself. Uh, we have worked side by side um, over the last two years of the COVID-19 pandemic and actually before that, um, but geez, it seems like uh, life has, our previous lives just stopped and it's been COVID for two years. So um, let me just go ahead and uh, have you introduce yourself. My name is Wally um, Oshioye. I'm hospitalist at Berkeley Medical Center. I also uh, co-own a practice with my wife, Apple Valley Family Medicine, that we manage together. I've been in the area for uh, the last eight years, uh, including the last two trying period of the pandemic. Now, for our folks who are not in healthcare, when you say hospitalist, let's sketch that out um, for some folks because, you know, hospital medicine, boy, oh boy, talk about different in the last two years. Um, You know, if you were to describe what a hospitalist is. So, um, hospitalist is... It's an emerging new um, area of, of field of medicine where a doctor primarily just take care of patient at the hospital uh, from admission to discharge. Usually it's been, you know, outpatient family dogs or internal medicine that comes and take care of the patient in the hospital. But to, be, to make the field more specialized and to, to um, enhance the quality of care patient gets there, so there's been an emerging area of medicine called hospitalist medicine, where, again, the doctors primarily take care of patients in the hospital from time of admission to time of discharge. And, uh, you know, I still go to the hospital, and so I have some skills, but I've, um, Wally, I've told many of my patients, I say, listen, I'm, I'm not as skilled as a hospitalist. And they kind of shake their head at me because they know me and I know them. But uh, the truth is, I know that for hospital specialists, you know, when that's your, your habitat, um, I know that, you know, um, a hospitalist who is awake in the middle of the night cause that's their work day, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not sleepy in the middle of the night because that's their job. And so uh, what are some of the things that by the hospital specialty, what do you think are the things that improve as opposed to, you know, a community doctor like me, I go in and I do some hospital, but the specialty itself, um, what are, you know, the, the true pros like yourself? Well, again, I mean, uh, um, I'm a family dog by, you know, by profession. I, I train in family medicine, but I've been doing hospital work for the past eight years. And just with everything you practice at, you get good at it. So as a hospitalist uh, physician, that's what I do every day, all day, seven days a week. Uh, sorry, seven days during my shift and then seven days off. So you get to learn a lot because you do it every day. You interact with especially the cardiology, gastroenterologists, and the likes of them. So it improves your ability to do what you do best. Again, I've not been doing office work as much, so I wouldn't say I'm as good doing that as I do hospital work. Again, anything you practice at, you can get good at it. Yeah, and I know a lot of times when I come in in the morning and, you know, you've admitted a patient and, um, you know, the the seamless you know, care that you provide because, you know, you're working with the same nurses, the same respiratory therapists, you know, who's on for the surgical services, you know, those, those handoff and communication points. I think the public doesn't really understand that connecting those pieces of care, 
that's one of the things that hospital medicine excels at. Yes, absolutely. Again, the continuity of care is very important. Again, knowing who is taking care of your patient, what they like to do, when you need to talk to them about the patient, you need to let them know bef- before you admit the patient. You know, stuff like that takes it goes a long way in enhancing the care of the patient. So, again, dedicated hospital service uh, is an emerging part of medicine that's enhanced the quality of patient admitted to the hospital. Absolutely. So if we, uh, let's look at the timeline. So you're a hospitalist for six years, you're minding your own business, 2020, none of us had any idea. Uh, Then we start watching the news, you know, December, so Christmas 2019, you know, we start hearing things out out of China, Southeast Asia, they starts bubbling up, January, it's on our radar, February, we know it's coming. So from the hospital medicine side, early days, um, what, were, what were your initial thoughts? <laughs> I don't think you want to let me say exactly how I felt. But I, I could remember vividly the February day we had a hospital meeting. And they were saying, this is coming here. What are we going to do? I mean, this is a once in a generational event. Nobody is prepared for this. So everybody was just stunned. Like, what's going on? And where do we go from here? So just like everybody else, I was in shock. I didn't know what we're going to do. I didn't know how we're going to come through this. And since then, it's been a learning experience over the last two years. So we're just taking it every day at a time. Because there's no manual on how to do this. Nobody has a manual. So it's just something we all have to learn um, on a daily basis. But... Given everything that's gone on, I think we've 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 done pretty okay. Now at the beginning, so you know, uh, so you're in the hospital, and I'm over at my office, and yeah, once the okay, I was shocked like you were, and I knew it was coming, and I started to accept that reality. So here's what I'm gonna I'm gonna give you some background. And I'm gonna ask you, what were your your initial worries? Because I started sizing up my patient population. Um, my gut told me who was going to be vulnerable. I started thinking about the disruption, like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do with regular heart attacks, regular strokes? Uh, what is this going to mean for all of the healthcare that's not going to stop just because there's a pandemic? So I immediately worried about that. So what were the non-COVID healthcare worries you had? So you're watching COVID, it's coming, but what were the other things that you thought, oh man, this is going to derail what? Well, I mean, for me, it comes into a part. First is the medicine. Again, how are we going to care for our patients? I mean, we don't know what this disease is. We don't know what it's going to do. And the first thing you do is just show the office of your practice. Like, we can't have people come in here because we don't know how to deal with this. We don't have the resources to, de- to deal with this at this time. And from, a, from a, an individual level, the thing that was also very unnerving is we have a practice that's only like what? maybe four years, three years old at the time, it's like, what are we going to do with our practice? If we shut our door, does it mean we close forever? Because at least you need to generate income to keep pay your staff and you know pay your mortgages on your, on your business. All these things were just rolling through your head as to what is going to happen. So for me, it was twofold. How do we care for the patient? And how do you operate as a business and keep operating? Yeah, Wally, I hear you, and I know those those worries of right my 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 personal business, the how do we care for patients, 
And, you know, I had those worries at the beginning. I'm not a, I'm not a private business owner anymore, um, but my wife is. And um, because I was so worried about some of those same concerns, I'll, I'll have you comment on this. I really wasn't even thinking about my own safety. I mean, I was, I'm always, you know, you know, we're doctors. We always, we don't do dangerous things. We always take care of our safety, but I was never, I never had additional COVID worries. I thought respiratory pathogen, I'm going to be able to protect myself. That was the least of my worries. Did you have that? Or does, were, were you worried about safety issues from COVID in the hospital? Well, I was because, again, we are really exposed. You know, after the emergency room doctors, we're next in line. We see all these people when they come in. At the time, nobody know how to protect the other person. So a COVID person can come in and you just go in there and see them. You know, you, you know at the time, we're not wearing masks. We don't know exactly how to protect ourselves. Um, so there was a worry that, you know, if you get sick, then what happened to your patient? On a personal level, what happened to your family? You know, you have to think about all these things. And if you get sick, do you expose other people, other patients? So all of these things were going on in our head. And it was just, again, it was just very nerve-wracking. And we were just playing by ear at that time. Yeah, I hear that. And I, I yeah, I don't want to downplay. I mean, I was, I had concerns. I guess what I, what I immediately jumped to was I thought, well, respiratory pathogen, uh, we're going to be wearing some pretty solid gear. <laughs> Maybe I just I just made the leap to like, okay, I guess we're going to put on goggles and whatever else we decide is best, and that's just what we're going to do. But I know what you mean. Early on, it was like uh, nobody nobody really had a plan. Yes, absolutely. And and then just see the images from China and all the other places that it's been to. I mean, again, as a Nigerian, the first case in Nigeria was some somebody from. I don't even know from I don't know where, where that person came from. And it was it was it was it was crazy. It was it was like, whoa, what are people going to do? So when we saw all these images, it's like this is not your regular respiratory pathogen. This is not the old SARS that, that, that we know of. This is not all these other, you know, respiratory things that happened before. We were able to deal with that. This was totally different. This changed totally the ballgame. And we can also saw from that from reports that came out later on that. Even the government of the United States knew that this, this pathogen was very infectious and was very deadly. This was the information that we were not, we were not privy to at the time. But our fears were really in the right place because as time went on, we saw how deadly and dangerous this pathogen was. Yeah, I, I hear you. And I think one of the things, um, I've told many patients that, you know, I trust my gut. You know, I'm, I'm 20 years out now and um, I, you know, I'm going to trust my gut every time it tells me to worry about something. And I'll, I'll have you comment on this, Wally. I the thing that really got my attention that I couldn't stop kind of doom scrolling was was Northern Italy, and I thought, you know, here's a place that I had some knowledge of, and never in my career had I seen anything, even remotely on this planet, any event from anything that was like like Northern Italy, and then. Um, did you have a moment like that, or what I'm going to call the existential crisis or the, the cataclysmic moment where you thought, oh my gosh, this could just be a tidal wave? Did you, did you have those thoughts? Oh, abs- absolutely. I mean, those images were scary. I mean, we're talking about uh, a first world country, Italy, with, with the devastation that this pathogen wrecked over there. And it was just like, wow. You know? Um, again, this is a, a once-in-a-lifetime, a once-in-a-generation event that happened to us. There was no manual to deal with this. 
So when you see all these images, you, you felt like <laughs> the world is coming to an end. It, it, it was like, this is, the, this is the end. And then you saw other images coming out of, you know, uh, Brazil and India. And it's like, this is, this is, this is incredible. This is, this is nothing anybody, I mean, is, is, is prepared for. And we just have to take it one day at a time. And at the time, we just we were just hoping, like, maybe the panacea will be, you know, the silver bullet will be the, the, the vaccine. And then we still know what happened after the vaccine with people not wanting to get it and all these things. So it was just it was just something we had to live through once in a lifetime event. And I, I think at the end of it, we, 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 we'll be stronger for it. So we've been talking about the early days, the scary days when things were unknown, but we're sitting here two years and obviously a lot's changed. You know, we have, we have effective and safe vaccines. We have emerging therapeutics. We have, you know, PPE for those of us in the hospital. You know, I don't have any worries about that stuff anymore because we got, we got all that. Um, but Wally, take me to the middle days and let me set it up for you. The middle days are, I'm going to define that as the pandemic's here, summer number one, maybe winter number one. Um, you know, before, before a vaccine's available, the dark days, you know, the curve is going up, you know, and whatever, whatever website you were watching, the curve is going up. So there's no end in sight day after day in the hospital. How did you cope and deal during those days? Well, I, I, I probably have to draw my faith, you know, uh, I'm, I'm a very religious and faithful person. So that was my most, um, um, source of strength during those dark days because i mean you see all this stuff i mean I, we see them every day at the hospital the icu were full people were dying like almost every day uh you know our mortality was through the roof i mean the mo i mean it was it was the worst thing that i ever ever seen in my life i, I have to ask my colleagues how what's your, your mortality like i mean are you signing sign death certificate every day they say yes we're doing the same thing as you just not just you because i was worried like what am i what am i doing? what am i doing wrong these people are just dying on a daily basis i've never seen anything like that before my entire career so we just have to draw our own personal faith I, I, again i'm very religious person I, I pray every day and just do your due diligence you wear your mask it doesn't matter who you see you make sure you're you're well covered and those days when you go home, you can't hug your kids. So you have to make sure you do your own due diligence so you don't bring the pandemic home to your family. But if that's one thing that sustained me, I would say it's definitely my faith. Now, uh, yeah, that's uh, I definitely want to talk about faith in a second. Um, but when you talk about, um, you know, our professional lives intersect in the hospital, you know, I, I come and spend part of my day there. And so when you talked about those days when the IC was full, it was always full, there was never an open bed. You know, somebody would somebody would die, and then we would we would fill it. They were somebody in the emergency room waiting. Um, you know, I remember walking in one day to sign a death certificate, and I asked the clerk, and um, I basically said, you know, I'm you know this patient, um, it's you know somebody who died from COVID. You know, where is it? And basically, I was told that it was you should look in that stack, and it was a stack of them. Um, you know, that I will never forget. I mean, I've seen some crazy things in healthcare in the last 20 years, but a, a stack of COVID death certificates um, is going to be burned, um, you know, in my mind's eye forever. Now, um, faith, you know, so many of, of the people that we've talked to in the Healthcare is Human Project, people talk about that. And, you know, we talk about, you know, people's support structure, and that's, you know, who in your life is is helping you and supporting you. And 
motivation, you know, who am I, you know, going to go home and why am I doing this job? But you talk about your faith. You wanted to talk about that a little bit about, um, you know, where did your faith start? Um, because clearly it's, it's been tested. Yeah. I mean, again, I grew up in Nigeria. I was, I wasn't born in America. I'm an American by, by birth. Uh, my parents had come here to study. And during that time I was born here. They did take me back to Nigeria after, you know, they finished their studies and went to work for the government of Nigeria. But as growing up, that's one thing we can always draw on is our parents teach us about our God. We go to church all the time. So kind of, again, very deeply religious just by Nigerian tradition, really. And for anything, things that is out of your control, things that you can wrap your head around, you've always said, pray, you know, if you can't handle it. God can handle it. I mean, I'm a scientist, but I still believe in higher power. And at times when things I can wrap my head around exactly with the pandemic, we don't know what was going on. Sometimes you have to draw upon a higher being to at least sustain you, keep you strong, steal your spine so you can take one day at a time. Because, I mean, again, I'm in healthcare. My wife is in healthcare. It's not like we can go to somebody to vent. We're both stressed out every day. So we have to ha find a different source of support. So our family are there, of course. Um, I mean, again, they, they're scared still for us as well. But for us, we, we pray every day. When I take my kids out every day, we pray with them. We just say, you know, God will see us through. And, you know, it's a testimony today that we here didn't get infected. Not any one of us, again, very exposed, both me and my wife and our kids. But none of us have gotten infected. So, you know, it, it, I, I believe in God and he, he works wonders. Yeah, and I, I appreciate I appreciate this conversation, Wally. And I, I think one of my frustrations as a doctor is, you know, um, I think there's a false dichotomy. I've had patients walk into my office and they will they've made some religious pronouncement that basically they reject scientific things in the name of faith. And I always that was always confusing to me. Um, and then I'll have scientific people who are skeptical of faith. Um, I don't find them to be mutually exclusive. You know, there are there are questions of science and matters of faith, and they're 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 different, right? Um, and I I couldn't agree more. There are plenty of times I I prayed to get through the day, um, and at the same time, you know, what allowed me to get through the day was uh, scientific understanding of of you know what we were dealing with. Mm -hmm. um, so I I couldn't agree more that I, I find in my day that. You know, when I deal with dying people, those are matters of faith and spirituality. And a lot of times we're explaining to patients, hey, listen, here's here's the science of your illness. Here's why we're at the end of the road. Um, so, you know, you want to talk a little bit more about how they mesh? Because I, I totally agree they're they're not in conflict. Yeah, you, you're right, Ryan. I mean, they, they're not mutually exclusive. And I always tell my patient, you pray to God things human can handle. Okay. You have a disease. We have enough information, enough um, science on it that we can take care of it, you know. But there's some things that is beyond me, is beyond you. Of course, you can draw on your faith for that. Absolutely. Now, since the vaccine came about, you know, again, people have been saying a lot of crazy things about about the vaccine. Or oh, my 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 somebody told me this, or I read somebody is the mark of the beast. I have somebody said that word is the mark of the beast. I'm like, wow. Now, God, I, I don't mean to be trivial about it, but God doesn't like foolish people, really. So God has given human abilities and brain to study things so we can help each other. 
So if that's a vaccine that human being has developed because of the science of it, of the all the research they've done of it, you use that. If, if, if that's a vaccine to protect it from COVID, and you say, God, please protect them from COVID. God say, what, what happened to the vaccine? You have the idea. I've given you the knowledge. Use it. Now, if something's beyond all of this, beyond all of us, then you can always draw your faith. And I'll tell my patient, separate your science from your politics as well. You know, people always mix all these things together and they get misinformed. I've, I mean, there was a horrible story at the hospital of recent when a 29-year-old just short of getting his vaccine Intubated for almost two months at the hospital, had to die. A normal person, normal human being, not on drugs, not on anything. 29-year-old man has lost his life just because he was short of getting the vaccine. Yeah, and I know what you mean. And I it doesn't surprise me that we've, you know, we're discussing, you know, thoughts of of faith and and politics. And I'll tell you, two years into the pandemic, Wally, I'm finally thinking about. You know, I'd never had patients kind of scream at me or tell me that I didn't know what I was doing. And the, yeah, the, the amount of vitriol and just political misinformation and disinformation, um, I don't think I'd ever had to battle anything like that in my career. And I found it personally upsetting. So I want to ask you, what was your, how did it feel as, as a man of science, as a doctor, when people would kind of throw that at you and maybe even imply that, you know, you were trying to do something bad or wrong. How did that make you feel? Yeah. I mean, it's confusing to me. Again, I I just don't know how people mix those two things together. You know, politics is the one thing it says it's totally aside. Science is totally another thing. I mean, all these vaccines that were developed were developed by private companies, not by the government. I always tell my patients, these vaccines, this is a Pfizer vaccine. This is a Moderna vaccine. This is a Johnson & Johnson vaccine. It has nothing to do with the government. You have to separate that because there's so much misinformation maybe on Facebook or on the internet or whatever people are listening to. And you already have people that are a little bit skeptical about things in general. And then when you misinform them, you just kind of harden their mind and they don't want to hear any other alternative. So I always tell them, please separate those two things. Your life could depend on this. Your life literally depends on either you get the vaccine or not. So don't, don't, don't mix your politics with the science. Listen to science separately and listen to your politics separately, but don't mix them together. Now, as we go forward, I would ask you, uh, as we conclude our conversation, you're battle-tested by the pandemic, married to another healthcare provider, father of three kids. You know, all of us that go through something difficult, we're stronger as a result because we're battle-tested. What do you think is the greatest strength or lesson you're going to take forward from the pandemic? Uh, the greatest lesson I can take out of all of this is that you are stronger <laughs> than you ever think you are. At the, at the beginning, I was like, oh my God, how do we get to the end of it? Is there even a, a light at the end of the tunnel? But once you take things one day at a time, draw your faith and trust science and you move forward with good intention of just caring for your people, Everything eventually seems to take care of themselves. And I always say to everybody I meet, the only thing constant in life is change. There's changes in healthcare, there's changes in life, there's changes in everything around you. Be ready for it. And you can handle more than you think you can. If you can go through this pandemic after two years, maybe the world can go through anything. Wally, I appreciate this conversation. Um, it's been a, a joy and a privilege to be your colleague during the pandemic, and I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. Thank you. I appreciate you, Ryan. 
You've been listening to Healthcare is Human. You've been listening to Healthcare is Human, stories from the healthcare ecosystem, ideas to change our health culture. This project was created by Ryan McCarthy. It was inspired by the hardworking staff of the Berkeley Medical Center. Be sure to check out the Healthcare is Human Facebook page to see amazing photographs by Molly Humphreys of Shepherdstown, West Virginia. You can find Molly's world-class portfolio by searching for Piccadilly Posh. Original music is by Isaac McCarthy, the one-man band. Kim Mattioli engineers the podcast. Some of our stories are featured in 100 Days in Appalachia. Check them out online at 100daysinappalachia.com. This project is supported by a grant from the West Virginia Humanities Council. Thanks to the Reed College of Media at our Mountain Mama, West Virginia University. Mountaineers, go first. And remember, the next time you go to the hospital, a clinic, and urgent care, be sure to keep in mind that healthcare is human. human.